Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 31 You are Locked On 49ers. Your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Brian Peacock, here with you. I'm going to be talking to Rob Lauder in just a bit. He'll be joining me talking about all things 49ers. Looking back one last time at that Week 1 loss to the Carolina Panthers. Look a little bit ahead at the Seattle Seahawks in Week 2 and what can be done for this 49ers team to improve, especially in that win-loss column because it's a tough stretch of games. Uh, This team could... It's a slippery slope, and so hopefully the 49ers can correct, get things righted here in Week 2, have a good showing against a tough team in a very tough place to play in Seattle in Week 2. Follow me on Twitter at PDPeacock, email LockedOn49ers at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, we're on iTunes, subscribe, rate, review the show. We're on Spotify and LockedOn49ers.com. Some real quick news, not any major news Tuesday, but I do want to talk about one thing which was a little bit surprising is that after a week, Ben Bulware was already cut from the 49ers practice squad. A couple of heartbreaking tweets actually here. Uh, He tweeted about uh, what went on for him earlier in the day. And uh, so this was his day on Tuesday when he found out he was going to get cut. 10.34 a.m. signed expensive lease for my new apartment. This is at Ben Bulware 7 on Twitter. So 10.34 a.m., he signs an expensive lease, which most leases are in the Santa Clara area. 11.52 a.m., so a little bit over an hour later, he picks up his mom and girlfriend from the airport to visit for the week. And then approximately three minutes after picking up his mom and girlfriend at the airport where he has his new home and new life and new football team, he gets cut from the practice squad after one week. Uh, He goes on to tweet, and I know 100% that I can play and succeed in this league, just awaiting the right team to believe in me and give me an opportunity. This is nothing new to me. I've been doubted in my entire life. All I know is work. If I can control the input and not the output, doors will open. So a rough go, rough day for Ben Bulware getting cut just after signing his lease, and uh, maybe he'll have an opportunity to jump back on the 49ers practice squad at some point this season. And uh, that has been known to happen with teams where guys bounce around on, on a, one team's practice squad a lot or bounce around the league. So good luck to Ben Bulaware wherever he goes. And uh, it's it also, I talked about Austin Calitro last week with Matt Barrows and sort of a surprise player that I thought for sure, if not making the 53-man roster, which I thought was a possibility, would at least be on the practice squad as an undrafted free agent. Looked pretty good in the preseason, but uh, he was cut by the 49ers, ends up, signing with the Seahawks practice squad. So I wonder if the 49ers had a mulligan, they might redo that. Reuben Foster being out, and, and now we know that is a high ankle sprain for Reuben Foster. The 49ers might be in the market for a linebacker that can contribute at some point in 2017. And according to a source, this is a tweet from Field Yates. He has a source that says, with linebacker Reuben Foster dealing with an ankle injury, the 49ers worked out linebacker Sean Spence 
and Donald Butler today, which was Tuesday. So 49ers are working out some veteran linebackers, so maybe that's the thinking there. They did add Jarnor Jones, a defensive back, 6'3", corner, who's an undrafted free agent from Iowa State University, spent camp with the Atlanta Falcons. They signed Jones to the practice squad and released Bolaware to make room for him. So they got a 6'3 corner on the practice squad that they added there. And uh, maybe they'll be bringing in a veteran linebacker. So that's the reason why they didn't need another linebacker on the practice squad. But hopefully Reuben Foster won't be out that long and everybody else can step up that's replacing Reuben Foster. And we'll see Navarro Bowman not get hurt again. And hopefully he can stay in there and be the leader in the middle of that defense and hopefully it won't be too long before Reuben Foster comes back and the linebacking core will be intact and uh, and be able to have a successful season, unlike the linebacking core was able to have last year. So that's my worry is that the 49ers aren't able to really put that in place and have that strong run defense that it looked like out of the gate the 49ers were going to be a strong run defending team. And, and they, they did a good job in that first game. They absolutely did, not only on the linebacking core, but actually the defensive line as well. Not a lot of news coming down on Tuesday, so uh, why don't I just get to my guest? Joining me now is Rob Lauder. You remember him from the show. He's a writer over at Niners Wire doing big things on the USA Today Network. You can find him on Twitter at Rob underscore Lauder. Rob, thanks for joining me on the show, man. Hey, man, no problem. Always a pleasure. Uh, We were just talking before we went on the air about uh, Clovis Lakes, and you are a Clovis guy, and I remember going up there as a kid, and and it was a huge water park, a big upgrade from the the little tiny water park that we had, the Mustang water slides in the Visalia-Tulare area. And uh, I remember there was a big, like, wave pool. It was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. You could, like, boogie board in it. It was just a massive spot. And uh, I'm hoping you you had the opportunity with this this warm, very hot summer that's going on right now that you had an opportunity to get over there and, and, and get wet a little bit. Oh, of course, man. The wave pool was always my favorite, too. I mean, they had the rides everywhere. And especially nowadays, it's grown so big that there's all kinds of rides and new age stuff. But I'm always just a, a preference to the wave pool and just kind of floor out of there. It's always fun to... <laughs> to get a raft and then, or to go, you know, capsize someone else and take their raft. Hijinks. When we were young, it's like, I remember actually, if you didn't have like the right footwear, you would just have raw feet by the end of the day. That's one of the things I remember from water parks. Oh yeah. Because it, it, unless there, everything was shaded, it's the, the distance between the rides is nothing but dry concrete. So uh, <laughs> it's good luck if you can't keep your feet wet. That's right. The crazy weather here in the Bay Area. I, um, I don't know if you guys had the thunderstorms over there, but it was it was nuts here yesterday. It was like thunderstorm uh, after thunderstorm and lightning, and it's it's some weather that I'd never seen before. So it just rolled through last night. It was totally out of nowhere. It's yeah. been a hundred degrees and dry heat, and then out of nowhere, <laughs> you know, these thunder clouds rolling, pouring down rain, lightning all night long, and then it was gone and it was back to normal. Yeah, I think if some people didn't believe in global. Like weather change, I think they might be believers now with all the weird weather we've had and, and record-setting highs. Yeah, it was, it was crazy totally random. Totally, and it's going on all over the place, too, which is a little crazy to kind of witness, too, when you think of everything in a big picture. Yeah, absolutely. And then with the hurricanes and one after another coming through, nutty situation weather-wise right now. <laughs> all right. Oh, yeah, I have, a, I have family in, uh, in, in Houston who have been, you know, they had their... Basically, their house destroyed. They're all, they're all safe, and they're all fine. Um, they lived in a two-story house, so as the hurricanes came in and everything started flooding, uh, they kind of took what they needed to live and lived on the second floor of the house until they could get evacuated. All their cars were destroyed. I mean, not destroyed, but, you know, just being soaked in water was enough to do that. So, uh, But they're, they're okay, and everything's fine. I'm, I'm assuming they have flood insurance, hopefully, and, uh, but they're all good. They're just, not, just now starting to kind of put everything back together now that the waters have all subsided. 
I can't imagine that feeling. And I, I know people over there look at Californians and think we're crazy because, you know, at least you have warning and, and there's no warning for an earthquake and all the, the wildfires that are going on. But that, that seems crazy to be sitting in your house that you've been living in for years and your bottom floor is completely flooded and you're sitting in the top floor trying to figure out how the hell you're going to get out of there. That's insane. Yeah, it really puts things in perspective when I'm over here complaining about my 100 degree heat when I can at any point just go into an air conditioned room and forget about it. So, right. yeah, yeah exactly. I, I don't have much to worry about over here. All right, let's get into the 49ers here a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit about Reuben Foster. And I know the last I saw is that it's a high ankle sprain. Have you heard anything more about the prognosis, how long it might take and how long he's actually going to be out? Because I know after the, he was trying to get back in the game and he was saying he's for sure going to be back for week two against the Seahawks, and that's definitely not going to happen. But uh, do we know how long he's going to be out? Well, and, and of course, and Matt Barrows made a good point on uh, Twitter when he said that, you know, when, however many games a player tells you he's going to miss with any given injury, usually multiply that by three or four, and you've probably got what they're actually going to miss, <laughs> which is, you know, reasonably so. Players are always going to be optimistic about this status, and if it were solely up to the players, they'd probably be back on the field well before they were supposed to be. Um, and you could tell Reuben Foster is 100% that type of guy. Yes. I mean, he was in the locker room after the game telling us that he was, he was, he felt great and he'd be back very, very, very soon. So, you know, you can't, can't blame the optimism of, especially for a rookie making as big of an impact as he seemed like he was going to make in that first quarter. But I think probably the, the safe bet is probably four games um, with the idea that they, he probably would be questionable about the third game. You know, maybe he'll be ready to go after four games. But, the, you know, the thing with the high ankle sprain is that it's almost like a hamstring injury and the fact that the damage that you do to your muscles and your ligaments, it, it, can, it can vary wildly as far as how much that time is going to uh, – how much time you're going to miss. So I think probably four games, I would set the over-under at four games. Um, I'd be surprised if it was less than that. But I think I'd also be a little bit surprised if it was more than that too. So I'd, I'd probably go with around there. Yeah, players are always very bad at – at uh, diagnosing their own injuries. And I think that's probably one of the things that's most difficult for training staffs and doctors and teams and the NFL in general with the, the whole concussion thing, the CTE thing is, is players will, will lie to get back in the game. Cause that's just the mindset that you have to be to be a great NFL player. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and I should not be saying this, I shouldn't <laughs> be telling you guys that I did this, but uh, I was watching him play in that first quarter from up in the press box. And I, and I had just typed out the tweet, Reuben Foster is already transforming the 49ers defense. And literally before I could press submit, uh, he got hurt. So that injury is almost completely my fault. Um, it was one of the worst things I've ever personally witnessed, but thankfully it was only me there and now that I've told everybody else. But, um, you know, it was, it, it was pretty incredible to see how big of an impact. I mean, he only played for – a quarter of football, and I believe he already had he only had three or four solo tackles. So, and and he was just around the ball. He almost had a pick six. Like it's just, it's sort of unbelievable how immediately impactful he looked. So, can't blame the guy for wanting to come back soon. But you know, I think I think it'll be it'll obviously be some time. It's amazing how different he looks on the field from some of the other players. You see him play a very limited amount of time, and it was like this in college. That's why he's one of my favorite prospects in the draft. And uh, it's just like you see him play and you're like, yes, this is this is what it's supposed to look like. And it was such a bummer to see him go down and see him carted off the field. And I, I worry a little bit about the linebacking core because you hope it doesn't slip into a situation of disrepair like it was in 2016. Uh, you know, and you still have Navarro Bowman in there. But if Bowman and he's got that 
history of injury, major injuries now. And if he, for some reason, can't go, uh, you start to get worried a little bit. You don't want things to start looking like they did last year at that run defense. And the 49ers already cut Ben Bulware from the practice squad. He lasted about a week. I talked a lot about that earlier. He had a, a really interesting um, set of tweets today about that experience as a practice squad guy and getting cut just after you know, pay, putting a down payment on an apartment. And one thing that makes me think, and I was thinking this last week before they even signed Bulware to the practice squad, is Austin Calitro, who looked actually really good in training camp, kind of got snubbed for the practice squad and maybe even snubbed for the 53-man roster. And now it's like looking like a kind of a mistake that, that they didn't stick with their own guy and they went outside and got Ben Bulware, didn't just keep Austin Calitro, who's now in the, the Seahawks practice squad. Yeah, it's tough to say. You know, I always try and withhold, a, you know, too heavy a judgment when they make moves like that because the team sees them every day. They watch them practice. And I watched him in practice for a limited amount of time. And, and in preseason, he really stood out and he did well. But for them to, one, let him go and not, and not sign him to the practice squad and then sign Ben Bulware and then release him to pick up a, a defensive back, you have to think that they, that they might be a little bit more confident in their linebacker depth than we are for them to just kind of, it seems like the linebackers, the way they were able to kind of shuffle through them there, uh, they might not have hold those guys in as high of regard as we do. And, you know, they, like I said, they still got Brock Coyle on the roster. They got Ray Ray Armstrong and, and maybe they feel a little bit better about those guys than, than we do. So who knows? I, I, you know, I always try not to evaluate practice squad stuff too much because you'll never see anything from them until things kind of get, uh, out of hand, you know, and if, and if we're seeing guys pulled up from the practice squad, that means, like you said earlier, that something's happened to Bowman, something's probably happened to somebody else. So um, hopefully it, it doesn't get to that case. But I think it's also, I try to stay positive most of the time, and I think it's, it's good to remember that at one point, Reuben Foster was being carted off the field, you know, and, and, and when someone gets carted off the field, you almost expect a season-ending injury, yeah. um, you know, one of the more catastrophic things. So it's good that the 49ers are only in the situation of talking about three, four, five games, what have you. So, you know, I'm not sure what they saw in Austin Calitro or Ben Boulware. That's unfortunate. You know, that's kind of the life of the NFL. You just sign this and then you're out the door. So, and knowing John Lynch, that wasn't something he was excited to do, but you know, it's, it's just, it's a little tough to tell when you're not in the building making the decisions. No, that's fair. Um, I want to move on to, the Niners Wire article you wrote about winners and losers and takeaways, a couple different articles uh, post-week one. Uh, I gave out some game balls on the show, and I, I got to imagine for you, like me, it was a little bit harder to find the winners than the losers after after that week one showing. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't easy. because, And, you know, me and me and Chris Biederman, well, we were uh, we were at the, in the same spot. The media room is basically a big collection of cubicles, and, and I, I was yelling at him over the, the cubicle wall, like, hey, man, you got to – Got another winner for me because I'm having a little trouble over here. Um, so yeah, it wasn't. It, it was tough sledding. The losers were very easy. You know, when you lose 23 to three, the, the loser column fills itself up pretty quickly. Um, but I didn't. You know, I want to completely shorthand the team. So uh, yeah, I thought my my number one winner was Pierre Garcon, and that was just because he was able to still benefit from the passing offense wasn't great. And that wasn't all Brian Hoyer's fault. The offensive line was putrid, but I don't want to take all your talking points. But he was still able to make a, uh, uh, you know, make a pretty good game of it. And he looked exactly like kind of what I expected him to look like. He's a little bit younger, a little bit faster, and Quan Bolden type wide receiver. And 
That's, I, I, I fully expect his season to go just like that. And I think he'll get in the end zone half a dozen times. And, and I think Brian Hoyer will be looking to target him as often as he did on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally agree with him. And it's not that there was zero winners in that game, but it was just um, – it, it's. I don't think they did a good enough job of showcasing the winners. Obviously, I think Reuben Foster for you know a very short time, I think he was on the field for a dozen plays – he was absolutely a winner for a short time, but then all of a sudden he goes off the field, you know, and then Carlos Hyde's running well and he's a winner, but they didn't utilize him enough. So I think one of the things I'm looking forward to in week two, if you're the 49ers, is making those winners win more, right? Whether it's Hyde or Garcon or or any of the players that you can that you can sort of highlight and maybe mask some of your deficiencies. Yeah, it's going to be tough sledding, though. You know, the, the Seahawks defense, obviously, is, is no joke, you know. So you're going to be wondering how good guys like Pierre Garçon and Marquise Goodwin uh, can do. And, you know, and that was our one of our significant winners from this week. So everybody who was a winner this week, who I had Pierre Garçon, Carlos Hyde, and I think the other one I had was uh, Richard Robinson. Um, you know, those at least Hyde and Garçon are going to be in for tough sledding just because the Seahawks defense is so talented and it's going to be in Seattle where the team just struggles. And I don't think, and I don't think all the new additions are really going to alleviate the struggles in Seattle just yet, despite the fact that, you know, we know that with a a talented team, Shanahan knows how to, to, knows how to put a beating on Seattle, but that's, Mm -hmm. you know, he does not have the same roster. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how things develop in comparison to years past. And I think one of the things that can work against Seattle is speed. So I think maybe a bounce back from Marquise Goodwin and Brian Hoyer could be a big part if the 49ers are able to go in and upset the Seahawks in Seattle. And they were, you know, they're both firmly in in the losers category, I would say, you know, needs work, needs improvement. But they were very close at the same time. You know, if if Hoyer puts more air under the first ball instead of the second ball, that he throws deep to Goodwin, you know, maybe they're both touchdown passes, you know, because then he was overcorrecting on the second one. So it's just, it, they were very close. And, you know, even with the, with the offense going forward on fourth downs, if they're able to get one of those, I, I think there is a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, even for how they played in week one, that if a couple things go their way, instead of not going in their way, because it seemed like everything went against them on these very close plays, that maybe maybe you have something, and maybe if they play that week one game over again, maybe they hit those, and maybe it's a completely different ball game. Yeah, and that's fair. And they were they were close balls, and it's to me, I've always and I don't envy Brian Hoyer in the task of trying to hit a, an Olympic long jumper downfield. You know, it's no matter what you're doing, it's going to be tough to time a, a deep ball to a guy who runs in a four two has four two speed. So um, the first one was pretty good. The first one was def- definitely catchable. It, it was a tad underthrown, but not something, you know, any self-respecting wide receiver would never complain about that. And, and Marquise Goodwin was very classy and very forthcoming after the game about the fact that he should have caught that and went right through his hands. Um, so, you know, he, he's very, he's a very uh, intellectual guy. Mm-hmm. I've come to notice he's very, you know, he has no problem kind of reflecting on himself and his own performance. I think he's, he's still, despite that, I think, still think he's in for a big season. And like you said, Seattle defense has struggled with speed before. So it'll be interesting to see how the 49ers utilized him, someone like Aldrick Robinson, too, who, who brings that speed to the table. Um, so, yeah, it's, it'll, it's all about that offensive line. And the Seahawks defensive line only got better. Um, not, it wasn't Sheldon Richardson, was it? Who'd they, who'd they just sign uh, trade for? Uh, yeah, Sheldon Richardson. 
Okay. The Jets, yeah. yeah. So they just added him. So it's not it's not going to be any walk of art. It's not going to be any easier than for the Carolina Panthers. So hopefully they can use whatever uh, lessons they learned from this to fix the deficiencies because they know they're not going to have any easier of a test. And I'm sure the uh, like like we started to see in the second half. I'm sure the short passing uh, the short passing game is going to be a go to for that. You know, just trying to hide that deficiency. No, those are good points, and I'm glad you brought up Goodwin, too, because it just seems like a really classy dude and, and, and thoughtful guy and someone that I think is going to represent the 49ers well, not only on the field with his speed, and, and you can see how, I mean, that speed just jumps when, when he's even with the DB. That means he's about to be two steps ahead of the DB. Off the field as well, he seems like someone that the 49ers fans are going to look back fondly on, on Goodwin's time, no matter you know how he does on the field or uh, how long he's a 49er. But yeah, getting into that Seahawks game real quick here before I let you go, Rob, you mentioned a couple of things there that they could go the 49ers way that they could be looking to do. I'm thinking the 49ers can keep it close by, I mean, they might not have as much uh, success running the ball as they did in this last game. Carlos Hyde averaged five yards per carry. Maybe they, maybe it doesn't matter because the Panthers only averaged what 3.2 yards per carry or whatever it was. I think, you know, just wearing down a defense is a big part of the NFL game. And the 49ers didn't do that at all last year. And that was sort of one thing that looked similar in the week one game as it did to the Chip Kelly era was just keeping the defense on the field too long. Uh, but I'm looking at the other side of the ball, and I think the 49ers could possibly take advantage of that porous Seahawks offensive line because as bad as the 49ers offensive line played, I think the Seahawks offensive line is worse, and they, the 49ers weren't able to get a rush going in week one. I'm looking forward to that being uh, an aspect the 49ers can really improve on in week two. Do you think that's, that's something the 49ers can capitalize on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's no excuse not to. With, uh, you know, with Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, Ellis Dumerville, um, and we'll see if Aaron Lynch gets activated this week. Uh, I don't know what's going on behind the curtains there and, and their decision to deactivate him So uh, against the Panthers. So there really is no excuse, you know, not to, not to at least have some success along that defensive front. And I would say this is a point where, if they don't have success against an offensive line like Seattle, then they need to, you know, you can't go back to the drawing board this early on in the season, but they need, they need to, you know, this is a big, I'll just say it's a big proving ground for that defensive line. And they should have no problem coming away with at least three or four stacks from an offensive line like that. At the very least, you know, you got to give them some leeway when they're dealing with a guy like Russell Wilson, who's going to scramble, who's going to make guys miss. But they should have no reason moving him around and get, making him feel uncomfortable with the amount of talent they have along that defensive line. And like you were saying, I think that they have a good shot of making some game-changing plays on defense in the fact that there's going to be a lot of pressure, there's going to be a lot of errant throws, and if the 49ers cornerbacks are, are covering well, which they did pretty well against Carolina, uh, somebody like Kelvin Benjamin only gets you know one real big reception, and, and you're doing all right. So. Uh, I think he was held to one reception on five targets, and it, it might, there might have been one more catch somewhere in there. But he certainly wasn't, you know, he certainly wasn't allowed to to break out. And while Doug Baldwin is talented, he doesn't quite have the, you know, the the game changing size and, and playability that someone like um, Kelvin Benjamin has, at least in the size perspective. So if the def- if the defensive front can get going, I think you could see a really interesting effort from the defense. It just depends on whoever's going to be filling in for Reuben Foster and how they do. Yeah, I think Aaron Lynch that you mentioned, uh, it's kind of odd that he was inactive. I know he's dealing with a back injury. I don't know how bad that injury is. It must have been bad enough that uh, he wasn't able to suit up in week one, and I think that's a 
that that would be a huge boon for the 49ers in week two because I think he still is their best pass rusher. But when you see him get when you see him come out of the preseason with a back injury when he wasn't hurt going in, yet he played every snap of that fourth preseason game. I think you see why you might have wanted to sit a veteran, no matter what kind of shape he's in. I don't know if they're trying to whip him into shape by playing him every snap of some of these uh, the the late in that third preseason game and pretty much all of the fourth preseason game. Uh, maybe that's why you sit a veteran so they don't get hurt going into week one when it really counts. Well, I mean, they Kyle Shanahan seemed very forthcoming when he said that Aaron Lynch's back was not the reason that he was not activated uh, in that in that game, which is not a, a great nod for Aaron Lynch. Uh, no, there hasn't like I said earlier, there hasn't been any there hasn't been any news about any trouble he's gotten in or anything he's been doing in his off time, and it wasn't a great it also wasn't a great showing when the coaches want you to play all four quarters of the, of the fourth preseason game. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I don't know for sure what they're trying to do. I don't know what their intent is. I don't know if they're still trying to gauge what his effectiveness will be on the field or if they're trying to maybe do a little bit of, you know, motivation through other methods. So it's, it's an interesting situation on whether or not he'll, he'll be put into the game because the key here is the fact that, you know, the, the 49ers between Tank Carradine um, DJ Jones, Earl Mitchell, um, Eli Harold, and Aaron Lynch, all they have a um, Dakota Watson. They have a bevy of, of you know starting caliber players. They're not game changing players. Some of them aren't, excuse me. But you know, it's the, Aaron Lynch would be a very, very strong piece to a rotation that if you can keep fresh and you can keep pouring those guys on a decent or an offensive line that Seattle has, then you're gonna stand a good chance to uh, to force some turnovers or, or what have you. So I think if they, you know, if, if they're going to put him onto the field, now's a good time to do it. But like I said, it's, it's hard to say with all the stuff that could be going on in the background to, to just say that they're making a dumb decision by not playing him. That is Rob Lauder. You can read all of his work over at the Niners Wire, NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Network, and read all of his tweets. You probably already do, at Rob underscore Lauder. Rob, I really appreciate you. Always fun talking 49ers with you, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me on anytime. I always say this, but uh, got to give a shout out to Chris Biederman and the crew he's put together over there at Niners Wire with Rob and also with Jared Brown. Always good talking to those guys. Smart football people. They know their stuff and uh, they've got all angles covered over there at Niners Wire. And hopefully we'll be talking to all three of those guys often here on Locked On 49ers through the season. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit me up on Twitter at BD Peacock. Probably be doing a little bit of a mailbag segment on Thursday's show. So get those questions in. Twitter at BD Peacock, email LockedOn49ers at Gmail. We're on iTunes. Please subscribe, rate, review the show. We're on Spotify. We are everywhere, including LockedOn49ers.com. Be back tomorrow on Locked On 49ers.